This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 28. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and today's chat is with Teresa Grodi. We're talking about community, moms groups, and supporting mamas postpartum. Thanks for listening in. Here's my chat with Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm really excited to chat with you and uh, to learn more about you. So maybe we can start off and you can tell me just a little bit about you and your family life and your work life. Sure. Well, um, I am a 33-year-old Catholic wife and mother of four. Um, I have a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old, two-year-old, and five-month-old little girls. Um, We live in Northwest Ohio in the Diocese of Toledo. We just started homeschooling our oldest this year, which is exciting. Um, My husband was homeschooled, and I always kind of thought homeschooling was for the Amish. So this is is a fun uh, um, extension of our family life, really, in our family order, Um, and we've been loving it. Um, I was born and bred a strong feminist woman. Um, I had no lack of strong women in my life, you know, and education was just what was going to lift me up. I grew up in poverty. My family's still in poverty. Um, you know, so education was like my goal. It was my thing. And I was a woman, I could do whatever I wanted, you know, and I really worked towards it and I'm, I'm type A, I'm extroverted. So, um, it was something that worked for me too. It wasn't like an oppression. It was just like, yeah, I'm going to be president of the United States someday. You know, I I look at it now and I'm like, Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation. That was probably (laughs) like me growing up as a kid. Like when we watched that show, I identify it with it so much. Um, I see my friends who are very well-educated women, you know, having graduate degrees and things, having children. And we're realizing that this isn't just a puzzle piece that we can fit into our lives. Like we were told, like, you may get married someday. You may choose to have children someday. Um, But worry about being you. You're going to build this. You're going to become a part of this, you know, like you fulfill your dreams and then you find a way to quote unquote balance the rest. But then you have your child and especially if you're a Christian or a Catholic. And I mean, we had, after I had my conversion in college, um, my college university group was just doing theology of the body all the time. I swear I could have a separate degree in theology of the body. Everything was sex. Everything was discussing contraception. I mean, it was just, it was fantastic preparation for marriage. Um, But so especially as a Christian or a Catholic, when you have your child, I think what I was prepared for, at least as a woman, was not, it was, I was prepared for the puzzle piece that I was going to figure out how to fit in my life. And then you get married and you make this vow the sacramental vow that like, essentially this is your monastery. You know, you're making your religious vow in your family. And so you have that aspect, but then you have the child and you're like, this isn't a puzzle piece. This is my whole life. I want my whole life. I want this child to grow up stable and, and, um, go to heaven, you know, be a saint, be a person of virtue. And, um, so I wasn't, I was prepared to segment my life. I wasn't prepared to have that first, that meteor, the meteor that struck my life when that child was placed on my, my neck after my C-section, you know, like I just, I wasn't prepared for that. 
And so homeschooling really came out of this, this idea that, you know, as a historian, and my husband's a philosopher, so his degrees are in philosophy, um, which make for really interesting conversations in our household. <laughs> I bet. Like we learned, <laughs> I can imagine. Thanks be to God, we learned early on that when we argue, it's because he's thinking of the ideal and I'm thinking of like the practical implementation. And that's mm, why we can't see each other because I'm like, but, but, and he's like, but, but, <laughs> you know, so once we realized that it made family conversa- conversation a lot easier, or at least yeah. to figure out, like take a step back and figure out where we were disagreeing. Cause usually we don't disagree about things. Um, but um, the homeschooling, it, it, it was just, I'm not, I don't feel ready yet to have my, my younger children out of the house for so many hours a day. I mean, I had a fantastic family, a sacrificial family. I mean, my parents even took jobs at my Catholic schools so that we could go there. I mean, they were working just for tuition, you know, in part-time to full-time jobs just for tuition and healthcare, um, and then carrying on other you know, jobs on the outside, two to three jobs, you know. And I wish looking back at it now that I would have been able to spend more time with them. My whole life was oriented outside of my house, all of my drive, everything. I wanted to be away, not because my family was bad, but just my friends were out there and my goals are out there and this is out there. And there was just, you know, there was nothing keeping me talking with my family or having family meals, you know, and I mean, being poor, you want to, you want to, ch- you want to put all the things on the, the resume. So you get into college. Well, so you get into the, the high school prep school that you want, then you get into the college and then you get into the graduate program. And it's just this never ending, like amassing of skills or things on your resume. And now that I've had my family and I realize I don't know anything about family life. I don't know anything about children. I am a super anxious person. And so many of my female friends are super anxious people. Like I don't know anyone, any female (laughs) that hasn't had like panic and anxiety raising children. I mean like real anxiety, panic, sometimes taking medication for it, sometimes counseling for it, you know, postpartum depression. We're not prepared for family life. And I think once I, I realized that, it was easier to say, you know, we're not going to have all the activities. My kids aren't going to get all the stimulation, but I'm uncomfortable with this social experiment that's only been around for like, what, I, I don't know, maybe like 100 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not that schooling is bad. Like we have tons of co-ops in our area and our kids are going to take classes, you know, um, God willing, I can get my act together to get kids out of the house. Um, and my daughter went to preschool cause she's particularly difficult and I needed a break. Um, <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> just the way it is. So I'm not like necessarily afraid of my kids going away from home. I'm just, I'm, I want to focus on quantity time at home, not just trying to get in the quality time, but really focus on, you know, we're going to have conflict in our household. We're going to have you know, we have to live out next to other imperfect human beings. And I can't just go away to school and then just deal with my friends and then come home and kind of manage my family, which was what I did a lot. Um, and I, I loved school. I was very, I mean, very social. I, you know, I don't have any, there's no, I'm not harboring resentment at all towards my educational background, but um, I really wasn't prepared for what is now the most important thing in my life. 
Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's where homeschooling came in and then it's just a lot of fun. It's so much fun. There's so much I don't know and don't remember. So we're really all just learning together all the time. And my kids are still pretty young. So I'm sure there's some point where I'm going to want a tutor to come in and teach chemistry <laughs> or something, <laughs> right. you know? Um, but for right now it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, what you were saying about the puzzle piece thing and, um, then when we, you know, start having children and we're like, oh, they're just a puzzle piece to fit in here. And then you realize, oh, wait, no, they're screaming at 3 a.m. And I can't just, <laughs> you know, put that puzzle yeah. piece aside. It really does um, consume your life, especially when they're they're young like that. Um, so yeah. when you became a mom, um, was it really, I mean, was that the first time you really realized it wasn't going to be a puzzle piece kind of thing? <laughs> or what was that like for you when you became a mom? The first child, I still kind of lived my life. And I think that there's a place for that. Like the first one kind of gets carried around to you to all the church events, all the things. And that's really good um, because I think children need to be seen more in public and we need to have a little more exposure to children. And you, you as a young couple also need to like participate and help enliven your parish. Um, but there was a point um, where I realized I was still trying to do it all. Um, and thanks be to God, it occurred after the birth of my my second daughter when I had, like God allowed me to have postpartum depression. Um, and it wasn't like, I, it took me two babies to figure out that it was postpartum depression because it wasn't like, Oh, I'm going, I mean, they tell you like, if you, you know, like, here's your baby. If you think about shaking them or you think about killing yourself or harming someone else, you need to call us because that's postpartum depression. Um, so no, I had no idea that, um, anxiety, panic attacks, jaw clenching, shoulder clenching. Um, I mean, I, at one point I even had a tooth removed because the dentist was trying to figure out where all this pain was coming from. And they're like, it must be an abscess that we don't see, you know. Um, Interesting. So uh, low libido, feeling down, you know, seasonal affective disorder gets really bad. I had no clue. I had some clue that there was something wrong, but I didn't know what to do about it. Because, And mainly I knew that something was wrong because my pastor, before we got married, made all of his married couples take NFP classes. And I know that that's a sometimes a, a touchy subject among Catholics, like people throw out this thing, contraceptive mindset or whatever. But there's nothing contraceptive about me learning my body and becoming empowered by knowing my body. I mean, that should be a basic right. That should be a basic right for all women to understand their body. Yeah, I could get into my feminist. I, I, I mean, I could go forever on that about how women are being robbed the knowledge of their body by being thrown on mm. a pill for painful yeah. periods. I mean, anyway, I could go down a big, <laughs> long tunnel that way. Um, but what saved me in that postpartum depression really was the knowledge of my body because I remembered when I was charting before I had my first baby that I realized it was like kind of a novelty then like, oh, I get really weird feeling at the same time every month. And it's like right before my period. It had never occurred to me because I didn't have PMS. Like I wasn't, a, I wasn't like a, a bucket of tears or anger right before my period. But I did get really, I noticed I did get really like jittery. Mm. 
And I didn't like my husband's joking. Like when he would joke during, like prior to my period, I hated it. I would just be like, oh, I hate his voice. I just, I hate it. And then when I had postpartum depression after my second, I recognized that feeling. And so that really the saving grace was like, I know that this is hormonal and it's not just because I have children. Because I think a lot of times women are like, I guess I just shouldn't be having children. I'm just not one of those women. I'm just not one of those women who should have more children, you know, and, and something's, you know what I mean? Like we go down these, these paths of all this self-doubt and I, I'm very grateful that once I realized it was postpartum depression, I was like, yeah, we're getting blood work. I'm going to go see a napro doctor to look at my hormones. You know, like I had this game plan once I realized that something was wrong with me biologically that was not occurring during pregnancy, but was occurring like immediately after, you know? So I'm really grateful that I knew my body enough to know, oh, I'm not just hating my children. I'm not just one of those women who hates their children. And I just need to get as far away from them as possible. And I mean, there was that. I mean, I did get lots of babysitters. We took lots of vacations. We tried to get me time out. But it was like as soon as I'd walk across the threshold again, there it would be like the, the anger um, or the panic or whatever. With the first baby, it was just kind of normal. Like I was carrying on with my life, you know, learning how to, how to you know, the cute stuff like, oh, it's poop. Look at me. Like there's, there's a big mess and haha, I'm dealing with it. And then when the second one hit and I just couldn't control anger, no, I'm not talking about like abuse or whatever, but I mean like, why am I yelling? Why am I yelling? Why can't I control that? You know? Um, Do you know Sarah Norton at all? That name sounds really familiar. She, she hosts a podcast called uh, a mental, the podcast is about postpartum depression. It's really interesting. You should check it out. But um, what I, what I found interesting about her podcast is how differently postpartum depression manifests itself in different oh, women. Yes. So it's interesting what, hearing what you're saying about um, yeah. how for you it was like an anger, or a, you know, yelling and realizing and like realizing your yeah. hormones were off. And, yeah. Well, it was almost like like my skin was crawling. Like if somebody even talks to me, I'm going to flip out, you know? And you're just like, what do I do on a day like this? You know, it's like, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. <laughs> and yeah. like nothing's happening. You know, I'm just as angry and sometimes even more so when I have like a good morning or a good prayer time hmm. or get to mass. Um, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I just had my fourth. She's five months old. And thanks be to God, no postpartum depression. I mean, I really, after my third, got a whole micronutrient panel. I was severely deficient in some certain areas, and I worked to rectify those. Um, and hmm. I worked to rectify like um, progesterone imbalance. I kind of thought I was off on that area, and then I started seeing Dr. Christopher Stroud, who, you know, I maybe a lot of your listeners know him because he does a lot of speaking on NAPRO. Um, and I started seeing him and he was, he was the one who really opened my eyes to, yeah, jaw clenching, muscle ten tensing. Like that can, that's usually the first sign of postpartum depression before you get mm, interesting. other, you know, like other symptoms that you would more recognize as postpartum depression. Um, and he, you know, he helped me like, you're going to get it around two weeks and then you're going to get it ar again around three to five months. Like when your hair starts falling out, that whole switch over. So the second time around, I was able to, A, keep on top of those nutrients that I was deficient in, um, 
and then be like, I, I had a postpartum game plan, you know, I was going to rest. There wasn't going like for two weeks and I wasn't going to care what happened in those two weeks. And then after that two months, I wasn't going to care what happened in that two months, you know, only I'd be out cooking, you know, for the, keeping the kids alive, you know, whereas like the first couple of weeks I would just be resting. I even encapsulated my placenta, which I really think helped. Um, but I guess there's no really way, no way of knowing it, but I think it helped. Um, you know, and then when the three to five months rolled around, I, I had a game plan, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm taking my iron and, and have my progesterone if I need it. And thanks be to God, like it's, it feels good to be a normal person again. It makes me want to go out and picket somewhere with signs waving saying like blood work, not birth control. Like yeah. women deserve better in postpartum. There's no postpartum care. And that, sorry, I know you had me on here to talk about, um, mom's group, but that was one of the reasons, one of the things when we were living in Steubenville, when I first had postpartum depression, they have such a fantastic multi-generational mom's group there Mm -hmm. that it came about organically and you can tell that it came about organically. Um, so it wasn't like something imposed by one person, you know, um, it was a community effort, but you know, they had meals ready you know, like if you're a mom, they'd ask you, do you want 14 days of meals? And then they'd send it out to the group and someone would take care of you for as many of the days as someone signed up. Um, and you know, there were a lot of moms having babies all the time and telling you, you know, like, like giving you that motherly advice of don't do something, don't plan anything two months after your due date. Don't do it. You know, um, take care of yourself, get babysitting, um, and so when I, when I moved to now our forever town, um, back home in Northwest Ohio, um, I really wanted to take care of women postpartum. I really wanted to start meal trains and I really wanted to start just friendships. Um, and you know, I want friends, so I'm an extrovert and I moved back and I don't remember anyone, you know, from after college. Um, and so it, it really all stemmed out from this, we really need we live such a fragmented life. Um, everybody has their own school, their own gym, their own job, their own car. You know, we live a car's distance away. You know, we're not a walking um, society anymore, at least in, in our country. Um, we, we don't have time for quantity time with other families or, or even with our neighbors next door, like literally next door. Um, you can live next to somebody and not know them your, your whole time living there. Um, because we have the freedom now to form cliques as opposed to like live in clans, which I think all, again, all of human history, people lived in clans. You didn't have the freedom to form your clique, you know? Um, and I, I think there are a variety of issues with clique life versus clan life. Um, and I think that that's most powerfully played out in the family where you're living with people that you're at constant conflict with that irritate you, but that you love so deeply and they're yours. Mm. You know, they're not someone, you're not your best friend since you were in high school, you know, who is going to go and start her own family. You may only see her once a year. This is your people, regardless of whether or not you like them every day, they're your people and they will be there for you. I mean, with, with some exceptions, you know, everybody has exceptions, but they will be there for you for the rest of your life, you know, as will your, your next door neighbor, 
you know, even if you don't like them, you know, when the power goes out and when an emergency happens, you, you know, or you got to get someone to watch your kids instantly because you're going to the, you know, have another baby, they're the ones next door. Mm. They're the ones you really need to know um, and to develop like a friendship with. So when we came back to Perrysburg, I was like, we got to do this. We need a mom's group just like we had in Steubenville. Because not only do I want meals for my next baby, <laughs> but I want to make sure that like that we're providing, we're we're giving support to to this very lonely generation of mine who's of educated women mm. who are now thrust into family life, and we love it, and we don't know what to do. We don't, you know, like you're you're like the hinge of the you're at the hinge of these two lives that that seem to be completely and totally incompatible with each other. So how do you support those women? How do you support those women? Um, how do I support me? You know? Um, yeah. And, uh, sorry, I'll let you go. No, that's great. That's <laughs> a great question. And I just like want to go from there. Um, so women who are postpartum, who have recently had a baby, what what do you what would you say to them or what would you recommend to them? Um, and then I guess in the same turn, like what do you recommend for the moms surrounding them, the people surrounding them? Okay. Well, if you're still pregnant, there's still time to plan. And I think that would be number one. Um, plan childcare if you have children right now and plan to not be doing anything. Um, I, I threw together 20 freezer meals before this last baby and I can't believe I didn't do it before other babies. I mean, that was just like a game changer. Sometimes it was too much for me to like open up that Ziploc bag and dump it in a crock pot and press on. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that I had all of that prepared. Wow. Yeah. Um, or, or even just a game plan, you know, a stocked pantry with a, like three recipes that you're going to use for the next two months, you know, mm. like just a game plan. Um, in your mind, prepare yourself mentally for just survival mode. If stuff doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. Um, and I, I recognize the mental importance of survival mode this last time because I'm somebody who hates clutter. It is the worst visual. Oh, it just makes my skin crawl. But I live with four little human beings who make it all the time. And we have a puppy. So like, I mean, there's, there's just, I mean, it's a mess all the time. Um, but when I was mentally in survival mode and saying, I don't care, I don't care, it didn't bother me. Yeah. But as soon as I felt like, Oh, I'm feeling a little better. I'm feeling back to myself, which usually happens around two, three weeks postpartum. Then you start feeling guilty and you feel like you have to start doing stuff. And I'd really urge moms who maybe have just had a baby and this is where they are right now to fight against that. You probably still have a gaping wound inside of your body. Even if you can't see it or feel it all the time, it's there. Your body is like pulling blood from every other part of your body to come and be in your uterus to take care of you. You need to just relax. I mean, don't stop walking. If you want to walk, walk. But honestly, like I had to fight to not walk down the stairs to my basement. I mean, even a month postpartum. I was like, no, when John Mark comes home, he's going to do it. My mom's going to do it when she comes over. If you have family members to come visit you, I mean, just schedule, schedule someone to come. And it's really hard for me in the moment when someone says, what do you need me to do to think of something? So I would even jot down five things. Like, so when someone says, what can I do for you? So you can just be like, oh, uh, five things, hold the baby, 
let me take a shower, vacuum this room, yeah, run a load of dishes, run a load of water. You know what I mean? Like you can just have yeah. that because a lot of times you feel bad asking for help. But even if you have that prepared, you can just be like, oh, this is something I'm supposed to do. Yes. Can you empty the dishwasher? <laughs> and then kind of, you know, like they'll put things back wrong. So just let that go. <laughs> Again, I'm, that's I like, that. but um, yeah, yeah I, just I love what go. you're saying. And there's so much guilt, especially as an educated woman, there's so much guilt to letting other people do things for you. And you have to fight against that because again, you're the patient in that, at least in that first month, you are the patient. You must be taken care of. If someone else in your family were in that position, you'd be telling them the same thing. You know, you'd be saying, stay in bed, you know, don't get up, you need rest. And you, you, you really have to fight all the, the ways that you've kind of been ingrained to be, um, self-sufficient. Um, it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, and so I'm right there with you and I've gotten so much better at it with every subsequent baby. If someone wants to bring you food, let them bring you food. <laughs> um, if someone wants to organize a meal train for you, let them. I've had a few moms um, refuse it. And then the next baby be like, that was the worst mistake. I, <laughs> I'm going to take you up on your offer this time because when people brought meals for me, that was the biggest difference. Um, and so I, I guess supporting um, postpartum women, um, bring meals. I, I think that that's probably one of the biggest ways you can help without making someone feel uncomfortable. Um, or cause you know, hormones are going up and down and people may not want you in their house or whatever. Just come bring it. I mean, ask, can I do anything for you? But it take no for an answer, you know? Um, sometimes, especially with closer friends, I say, you know, I'm bringing your meal over on Thursday. Um, so, and I'm ready to take your clean laundry. So whatever laundry's done by then, you know, just leave it in a, in a basket and I'll bring it back the same evening or something like that. So that's another way, um, you could help because the laundry does pile up and kids have to have clothes to wear. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. That's really helpful. I love all these practicals because I think, that guilt that you're mentioning is so present <laughs> and so real. And we feel, we feel that after we have our baby and we start to feel better, like you said, maybe after a week or two. And it's like, oh, yeah, I can get back into things. But really, your body is still healing. And um, I, I love those practicals of oh, and talk to having husband. things written. Yeah. Sorry. I'm so bad. I'm interrupting. No, that's great. Talk no, no, go for it. Especially if you mm -hmm. know yourself and you have the feeling that you might feel guilty with other people doing stuff for you or being out of commission for a long time, tell your husband. Say like, I am going to feel bad that you're doing stuff for me. I'm going to feel really bad about it and it's going to make me feel guilty, but I'm going to fight against it so that if he has, because I mean, husbands are human too. <laughs> if he has any like, geez, I'm doing everything. Even just having that initial conversation where you know your wife is going to feel bad about this, it may help him in the moment change his attitude to, I'm just going to be cheerful about this because I know she feels really bad. You know, like I know this is a yeah. struggle for her, so I'm not going to complain even if I want to. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say again, you know, or the baby just ate, you know, or I just held the baby, you know, or something like that. Um, even just having that discussion ahead of time, um, uh, being vulnerable. I, I mean that, I think that that can really, cause I mean, marriages get strained 
you know, once you have a baby, particularly, I feel like the first couple babies, you really have a strange relationship because it's all new. Um, but we, both my husband and I really look forward to the, the postpartum time of just chilling with the baby and cuddling and he gets time off of work, you know, and meals. <laughs> it's always like Christmas when meals are brought to us. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's awesome, Teresa. I love I love what you're saying. This is great. And I'm I'm wondering now for women who are listening who don't feel like they have that community or that they know their neighbors yeah. or they don't have family nearby. Um, what would you say to those those women? Um, that's so that's so difficult. Um, I have some friends in this situation right now who are in the moms group, and thanks be to God, we have this group now. Um, but that would be my long-term goal, like start making friends with people and start having a regular mom's group, which we can get into in a little bit. But if you don't feel like you have the support and you're at a Catholic parish, ask someone where the homeschoolers are. Okay. Homeschoolers have so, I mean, they're busy people, they have lives, but they do have a lot more schedule freedom. So sometimes you feel like you can only get a babysitter at night because that's when people are out of school. And, you know, or I can only, somebody can only help me at this time or I can only do things at this time um, because of just the social schedule that's kind of imposed on us, the nine to five, you know, but homeschoolers have a little more freedom and they do tend to be, at least in my experience, willing to help. (laughs) You know, I always have homeschooling moms who are trying to find their child, like a mother's helper position where they can just help out and learn how to be of service to someone. Um, and so that would be, if you are stuck, you have no family nearby, nobody can come to you, you know, or even if you do have family nearby and people can come to you, um, ask your pastor if he knows about a homeschooling community or kind of ask around and then just see if you can get connected with someone and just be honest, you know, I think I'm going to need help, you know, or I struggled with the postpartum period last time. Um, I don't want to make the same mistakes and I really need help with my, my young children or my older children or, or. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Um, so going back a little bit, you were when you were when you were in Steubenville, there was a great mom's group that you were a part of. And then after moving, you knew right away that you wanted to start something like that, or did you go searching for something like that first in your new new community? I knew enough people in in my diocese um, in general um, to be able to ask before we got there. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. Um, that there wasn't a young mom's group at my parish um, or in the surrounding parishes that I I mean that people knew of, I guess. Um, I knew there were homeschooling groups. So my first, my first thing when we knew we were moving, even before we got here, I joined a homeschooling group, um, email group so that I could have some one to touch base with when I got there. Um, And then when we got back, you know, typical extrovert, like I want friends. And so um, I did have one college friend in the area who asked me if there were any mom's groups I knew of. And I was like, no, but I think I'm going to start one. Um, Because the Steubenville group was so basic that almost when we got there, I was, I was like, we should be doing Bible studies. Why are we all just getting together and talking? about our kids and having tea. We're not even talking about spiritual things. We're wasting time. We're, you know, and I was like kind of irritated. But by the end, I was like, no, this is like balm to my wounds. This is what I need. I need to get together with other women and spend quantity time, not quality time. Our families need to be together in quantity time. 
you know, so when I, they, they basically, it was like a, a weekly email um, or a Yahoo group, I think somebody had. Um, but you, you knew when playgroup was and you knew when mom's night was going to be and where, and that was it. Nothing else. No, I mean, things happened organically. Like I'm going here, join me for berry picking. We're doing this. This church has this, you know, on the email, um, or the calendar, but it was like, you can come to mom's group if you want, show up anytime. We'll be here to here. If you don't come for a year, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, if you come every week, that's awesome. Same thing with mom's night. You know, there were maybe like a hundred women or less, a little less on the group. And you'd probably have like six to 12 women at a mom's night, you know, and it was always kind of like a revolving group. There were some regulars, but, um, so that was kind of what I, the mindset where I was just like, yeah, I'll get a couple of women, six women or so on this email group. And then I'll just send out a weekly email saying, Hey, playgroup's going to be here. Cause we all had super young kids at that age or we're pregnant, you know, with our first playgroup's going to be here. And mom's night will be once a month at fifth street pub, you know, after bedtime. So that, and the other thing about the Steubenville group was they always did mom's and dad's night after bedtime, which is so smart. Cause you're not cutting into family time. That is, um, and that's, <laughs> that's and great. That's another thing, like a piece of advice when you're, when you're creating events for families, always think like, am I hindering the family with this? Is this a, an appropriate time to hinder the family? You know, like, is this your once a year mom's retreat? You know, is this, um, you know, always nursing babies welcome, you know, make sure people know that, um, you know, and so just asking yourself, like, am I helping vocation or am I imposing like something on women who just absolutely cannot have another thing imposed upon them because they have four kids, six and under right now, <laughs> you know? Wow. That is so great. I love asking that question before, <laughs> before planning an event, because I think sometimes that's not taken into consideration. Yeah. Um, I, that's excellent. I, again, another thing that I like pick it for with parishes is babysitting. Babysitting is not a nice bonus and Protestants get this so right. They get it so right. Babysitting for parish events, and I'm not saying during mass. I'm saying like at parish events, you, you're you alienating people until they have children who are old enough to stay at home. Because like my husband and I are blessed to be on the same page with our faith and most other things. Um, so we take Bible studies for granted or like couple studies or retreats for granted. You know, I'm just like, well, we can go to that or not go to that. I've heard Jeff Caven stuff before, you know, like I, I don't need to go to that. But if you, a lot of the moms in the group are, you know, not married to Catholics or they're Catholics of varying degrees. And so if there's something at your parish and you have someone who like your husband is not on the same page or your wife is not on the same page, hmm, who's going to go to the parish mission? You know, it's going to be the one and who's going to stay home with the kids. It's going to be the one who's already into their faith. And the one who's not into their faith is going to stay home, you know, or when you're looking at babysitting and it's at, at the very minimum $20 a night. So you have a $25 Bible study for couples at your church. And then it's like, I don't know, like $150, $160 for an eight-week Bible study. You know, and you're, you're really alienating people with young children and you don't want to do that because what they're going to do is they're going to fall away um, or at least become inactive because they can't do it. They can't make that decision to, to drop $250 on a Bible study yeah. or a parish mission. I mean, that would be lovely, but then you don't get them again until you're, the kids are coming back at confirmation or, you know, there's crisis in the marriage or there's crisis in the family, you know, kids mm-hmm. pregnant, kids doing drugs, you know, and then you come back to the church and we're, we're killing families. You know, sometimes I think when we have a, a school attached to our parish, 
we think that that's, we're serving the family and we are, okay, we are, but it can't stop there. It, it can't stop there. You know, our, our events pro family, can the whole family come? Do we, do we have babysitting men and women, kids split up into different groups and then we come back and, you know, like have a family game plan or is it men one night, women one night, kids, you know, during mass and then the family is further fragmented. Hmm. You know, so just, yeah, anyway, so like I'm a big babysitter, like you have to have babysitting at parish events. I remember yeah. last fam- last parish mission, I was like, my husband and I will, we'll babysit. We don't need to go. I mean, we'd love to go to the parish mission, but honestly, whatever grace I'm going to get from it, God can give me anyway. <laughs> you know, like it's up to God whether or not he gives me the grace at the parish mission or babysitting. So we're just going to bite this bullet and we're going to babysit. Um it, it Teresa, just, this is so sorry. great. I No, no, this is great. I just want to emphasize this because I think what you're saying is just gold. <laughs> and um, there was a parish that I used to work at, um, Our Lady of Grace in Edina, Minnesota. And they just understood like when we have like young married couple events, we need to have babysitting as well. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I were like, we will go to whatever talk is happening at this parish because they have babysitting and we need that time to connect with each other. I drive across town to another parish because they have babysitting (laughs) to go to a Bible study. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And I... um, I love that you're talking about this because the more people that hear that and then can bring that back to their parishes and churches, the better. So now I that's wanna, great. I want to give the ideal now because uh, I'm the historian and I've been giving the practical. I want to yeah. give the ideal. We can't say as Catholics, we can't say that family is just another hobby or um, it's for some people and not for others. Family as, as a reality as Catholics, and I don't just mean people with lots of kids. Everybody has a family. Everybody was born into a family. So everybody has a family, okay? Family is God's primordial way of revealing himself to us. It's the way in which God created them male and female, in his image, male and female, you know? So we know that God's way of revealing himself to us is in our body. I mean, that's typical, you know, the theology of the body, but that God populates the world with his ensouled human beings, his rational ensouled human beings through the family, you know, and we're not deer, you know, like you're not born and then you're walking and you can like eat grass and, you know, maybe nurse for like two months and you're, then you're able to start reproducing the next season. You know, we're not, we have, we, babies are born vulnerable into families and you, they're not ready to be out in the, I mean, they're re- not ready to sustain themselves until, I mean, like, I guess biologically, like around 15, 16, you know. So family is really God's plan for populating the world with his ensouled creations, mm-hmm. you know, his rationally ensouled creations, because everything, a lot of things have souls, um, but not in the same way, obviously, what we're talking about. And so we we really can't downplay the family as like another group that we're catering to, hmm. it it is the fundamental building block of God's cre- God's um, rational creation. We can even if you don't know the Catholic faith, you can learn so much from your body and the order of the family. Um, I'm I'm part of like this paleo group, and I've been part of this paleo group. It's like a paleo moms group. 
for maybe like seven years um, since my first baby. And it's amazing how that mindset, the mindset of paleo, and I'm not saying paleo is for everybody. Um, and I'm not saying that I even practice it perfectly. And paleo is like an eating plan, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, it's taking into, it's taking into account that we have a biologically appropriate like we have a, a biology that we need to feed, kind of like theology of the body. Like mm-hmm. you have a body and there's a there's an order and there's a disorder. You know, there's something that your body expects and there's something that your body doesn't expect. Um, so, but again, like these women get exposed to in this paleo group, they get exposed to the order of the human body in a secular way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these women then reject contraception because they're like, I don't like what it's doing to my body. It's yeah. carcinogenic, it's this. So I'm going to do... I'm going to chart my fertility. It's just beautiful to see how the order of God's body, God's purpose and plan is like making these women, these women who are otherwise really secular, like really in the culture, secular women, like rethink family, you know, like maybe I don't want to go back to work. Maybe I want to continue to nurture these children, you know, or maybe I want to go back to work in a way that I can continue to nurture these children, you know, so they're, again, they're realizing that, geez, this isn't just a puzzle piece for me. This is like, I want to look at my life now and see how I can reorient it to continue to foster this family that I've created with my own body. And my body's amazing. I'm like a fertility goddess, you know, like Mm -hmm. these things. And honestly, when I'm living my vocation, when I'm living all of my hopes and dreams and like ambitions and things through the lens of my vocation, I do feel like this divine fertility, like life is just spilling forth from me, even if it looks horrible. And here's, here's an, a last thing I want to leave about a mom's group. When you have events at your home, don't clean. Don't clean. And you will see people's wounds just exposed. Okay. So, I mean, clean the bathroom, you know, cause I I mean, clean what you feel like will be comfortable. Like you don't want people to be like, I'm going to get a disease from you, you know, or, you know, clean off the table, put a candle on the table, whatever, but resist the urge to like clean the clutter when you're having a mom's group or a mom's night or whatever. Let people see it. We are so, I have so many moms who say that that was like so important to them. And then other moms who are still like, I can't have people at my house yet because I'm not comfortable with this yet. But again, they just keep getting exposed to my like, come on over. You know, one of the best Catholic families that I encountered, they had 10 kids in homeschooled and you'd come to their house. I mean, they were like pillars in the Catholic community where they live. You'd come to their house and you'd be like sitting among stacks and stacks of laundry. I mean, their bathroom was just overflowing with laundry and stuff. But they're just like, yes, have your wedding reception in our backyard because you don't, because you're poor and you want to start life out and, you know, and we'll throw this event. And I just picked up 200 dishes so we can host the next event, you know, and we have dishes now, you know, we have so, <laughs> you know, they were just overflowing with life and with joy. But I mean, you had to step around stuff in their house to like be at their house. But I think, I think we want to have everything planned and ready again, as educated women, we want to have everything planned and ready, but we're not going to have friends and we're not going to have family community if we wait, you know? Um, Oh geez, I've I've taken up the whole time and I didn't get no. to the thing you're supposed to. No, get to. this is excellent. I'm I'm really enjoying this, Teresa. Oh, good. I'm glad. And I was thinking, <laughs> um, 
So, so when you first got to this community and like, I just see the, be- I, I can see the benefits of having a mom's group, being a part of a mom's mm-hmm. group and having these events. Um, but I'm wondering, did you just put, I know you had, you knew maybe uh, one or a couple people when you first moved back, but then did you just like put feelers out there or like send emails or contact the parish and say, I'm starting this group or how did you get moms to come to it? Well, so the first year I had this mantra and I don't know why I did, but I'm glad I did that it's going to just be me for the first year. I'm going to be the only one coming to all these events. There might be one mom the whole year and that's going to be okay because I'm laying the foundation. So when I, I had those like four women, one of them I met at the back of church and I think we were both trying, we were back with our kids. Actually, that's where I meet a lot of moms in the back yeah. of the church with your kids <laughs> or like after church, you know, I'm like, oh, that family's got kids crawling all over them. She looks tired and irritated at her kids. I'm going to go talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, awesome. so I, I did ask those initial women, like, please invite people personally, because again, like it's a thing with kids, your young kids. So I, I don't even know if I'd be allowed to put something in the bulletin, you know, if I'd have to go through some kind of training to put something in the bulletin, but I, you know, like I just, and our, our family's very, our, our parish is very family friendly, friendly. So I'm, I'm sure that they would be open to it. It just may be a lot more work on my end that I can't assume right now. Um, but yeah, so I just meet people and be like, Hey, you know, I get together for playgroups every once in a while, you know, and I send an email out just letting people know where they are. Do you want to be on this email list? Um, and usually people say yes to your face. They do. So that was kind of easy, you know, so, um, maybe within two years we had about 40 names. Um, not all Catholic. Um, sometimes you'd meet somebody at the library or at a playgroup and just be like, well, this mom really wants community and you can feel it. And so you invite them and, you know, just say, you know, this, we're, we're mostly associated with St. Rose Parish, but everybody's welcome. You know, we're here for fellowship and just being around other moms and other kids. Um, so I, I was really intentional about, we need to meet people face to face. Or have you say like, oh, I met this mom or I have this friend who's really looking for community. Can you add her to the email list? So it was always like organically grown just because our, our kids are involved, you know. And so you do kind of want to meet somebody. You don't just want to be like open play group at the park over here and anybody is going to, you know, like you, you just, I just wasn't comfortable with that. You can do whatever you want starting your own mom's group, but I just, logistically, I wasn't comfortable with that. Um, and then we we started doing some some mom's nights too, again, after bedtime. And that's, it's fun to see the two different crowds that you get, you know, like the moms who have younger kids and are at home come to the playgroups during the day, during the school year anyway. And then the moms who want fellowship, you know, but work or have older kids in school, like they'll come to the mom's nights and we'll close down the bar, you know, um, it's not like a drunken fest, you know, but like, like we'll just be there talking, you know, late into the night and enjoying ourselves. We actually just had an impromptu one last night. Um, and seven women ended up coming, you know, and it was just like an hour's notice. It was just perfect timing. We have school canceled today because of the blizzard. So, um, everybody was just ready to, to hang out before we were snowed in. Um, uh, yeah, so a lot of meeting people at church and then just letting the events aside from playgroup and mom's night, which I basically just pick and send out the email where we're going to be and what we're going to do um, with very little variation. Um, just letting them, letting it grow based on what people need and what people like. I mean, we have a seed swap because a lot of us garden. Um, you know, like we, we even started like a CSA with one of the friends, you know, because they want to do farming and a lot of us want to 
have vegetables from them, you know, um, or dairy or eggs, you know. Um, so I mean, just kind of let it grow as it is. There were there were a couple of us who really missed our night of worship um, when we were in college. We went to the same college together, so our night of adoration, and we really wanted our kids to see us worshiping. So we just started getting together for a family meal once a week, and then. Um, one of them was musical and would just play the guitar and we'd sing and we'd just praise and worship God in our own home. And that eventually became children's adoration at our parish. So now we have oh, neat. children's adoration that can go in the bulletin and then we can fellowship afterwards in the basement and get to know people. Um, so yeah, just start with no pressure. Let people know it's no pressure. Let people know they can come and go as they please, or they can stay on the list for five years and just be in the know and never show up to anything, yeah. you know? Um, but one of the beautiful things that you see from it is you see women who can start then to have people to ask help, ask for help. I can't take all the kids to this doctor's appointment. I need to go. Can you watch my kids? You know, um, I just asked somebody for some brewer's yeast the other day because I'm nursing and my supply seriously dipped, you know? And so I'm like, can I have, I know you brought me brewer's yeast cookies, you know, at some point, Yeah. you know, but just feeling comfortable with the enough quantity time that you've spent with someone that you can ask them for help. Um, because it, it's tough if you're just meeting at a Bible study and you're having this structured and you're seeing everybody on to then have the horrible days where you just are full of self-despair, full of self-loathing. But you need help and you need someone to see you when you're without a bra on and, you know, like at the worst. But you need help. You need someone to come over and be with your kids, you yeah. know, or someone to needs to stop by and just spend time with you so you don't go crazy. Um, you need you need quantity time first, I think. I think, at least in my experience. Um, anyway. Yeah, that's great. Oh. This is really, it's really helpful. I love the practicals and ideals that you've shared. And I just feel like really inspired to do a mom's group or at least like a play date more regularly <laughs> because – we need it. I just, we, we so need it. And especially for, um, being able to support postpartum moms. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I just love that you talked about that as well. So mm -hmm. thanks for sharing all that. Um, so Teresa, what would you say is your favorite part of your home and why? Uh, I loved this question and I won't talk for 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite part about my home is that it's ours. Mm. There was such a shift when we bought our home as opposed to squatting in other people's homes. Hmm. There's such a shift from like utilitarianism to I have this slab of clay. There's this GK Chesterton quote and I'm I'm going to I'm paraphrasing from it, but essentially that the common man's art is his property. And I I heard the quote and it was cool, you know, but then once I couldn't believe the metaphysical shift when we had our own home and our own land. And suddenly I'm like every nook and cranny, I, I can put my flowers here. I can put herbs here. I can have this big garden. Oh, and we can try corn and we like just, we yeah. can have chicken. Uh, we used to be able to have chickens and then I got chickens and then we fought that battle for a year and a half. So if anybody wants to have chickens in their community, I have a 10 page research paper. <laughs> I may have to get that from you. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. The history of chicken keeping and all the communities in the United States that are posh that keep chickens. So anyway, um, but I mean, it just, it really became like 
I want to write quotes. I, I want to write quotes all over my wall. I want everything to have meaning. Like it really turned into this art form. Whereas before you were in like an apartment and you're like, don't put holes in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> don't, you know, like if we're going to get this, we need to be able to make it so that we can move it. Or is this going to be a waste? Cause then we'll leave the apartment, you know? Mm-hmm. And then after you had your home, it was just like, there's something, there's um a, an encyclical by Popleo the 13th, Rerum Navarum, where he talks for a paragraph about why land, why property is actually, is act, it actually becomes a person's as opposed to like, oh, I have enough money to buy this from someone who owns it, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to buy my property and now I have my house. Why working your land and providing for your, for providing for the sustenance of your body, you know, like shelter and water and food and sunlight, you know, you're, and, um, general health um, makes that property yours. And I'm not saying legally, I'm not getting into legal stuff, but that's what he would yeah. back in the 1800s. That's what he was saying that there, there is something to someone owning the land that feeds them, the mm-hmm. land that takes care of their family. Um, but I, I, again, I didn't understand it until we bought that house and I was like in it for the first time thinking about what I could do. And just, it was mine. It was my piece of artwork now that I can shape into, as G.K. Chesterton says, like that I can shape into my own image, like I'm participating in God's creativeness, you know, shaping this into my own image. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. That's, that's so true, um, that shift that happens. That's, that's beautiful. Um, so my next question is, what are you loving recently? Oh, I am knee-deep in seed catalogs. As soon as seed winter, catalogs? yeah, as soon as okay. winter happens, I'm like garden, garden, garden. Next year's garden. <laughs> I'm like ordering all the free seed catalogs. I'm watching my my favorite gardener on YouTube, Charles Dowding. He's British. He's okay. like a no dig garden guy, but I just like consume all of his YouTube videos <laughs> over the winter, and I dream of like I sketch out my garden and and I just dream all winter of like what's going to happen when the ground thaws and I can get stuff in. So that's where I am right now. That's just my little winter habit. And I, I'm a, I'm a failed gardener. I fail every single year, but every (laughs) year I get better at something. And so this isn't like Teresa has a green thumb. This is like, Teresa's going to do this. (laughs) We're going to figure this out. And when I'm 80, I'll be a fantastic gardener. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So I guess, I'm kind of ignorant in this. Do you, so there's catalogs of just all different kinds of things that you can plant. And then I will give you two, three resources. Okay. Okay. So Baker Creek heirloom seeds is the funnest catalog to look through. Um, It's rareseeds.com. That's their, their um, address and um, get their catalog. Just get their free catalog and try it out. <laughs> there's there's okay. nothing you can lose on it. It'll just be fun. Um, uh, if you want to start small, seedsnow.com. Um, I've had great, great luck with all their seeds. I've never been disappointed in their seeds. Seeds now. Um, and then um, seeds from Italy. Um, I don't exactly know what the URL is, but it'll come up first in the search engine. Um, seeds from Italy is really fun. And so you get, I, I'm obsessed with Italy. I mean, being a Catholic, um, uh, a Catholic pilgrimage, you know, organizer, 
Italy, you're always going to Italy. You're going to Italy so many times out of the year. Um, I'm not, <laughs> but you know, yeah. you're sending people there. And so I've been on pilgrimage, um, a few times and it, it was really life changing. Um, I changed my whole degree based on going on a pilgrimage once. So I'm always like dreaming of Italy. Um, so I like looking at their seeds and thinking of a little piece of Italy. I can have them in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if we mentioned that, that uh, the work that you do is with the Catholic Pilgrimage Company. Yes. So you, so you work from home and you, um, you help, do you help pilgrims plan the pilgrimage? Yeah. Or? So um, I am like the 15% out of the 100%. So okay. Maggie McDaniel organizes all of our pilgrimages. She um, travels on all of our pilgrimages. She's the person. And we're a small, small, small company. Um, and we stay small because our primary mission is um, working with the mission of the pastors that go on these pilgrimages. So we're not just dreaming up pilgrimages and then trying to fill the spots. We get solicited, you know, or we, you know, ask a pastor if they want to do a pilgrimage. Um, but we get, she has a very um, wonderful um reputation in our diocese. So we're, we're very blessed for that. Um, cause she's great. But, uh, so we, we craft the pilgrimages for the pastor. And then I kind of run a virtual pilgrimage program and like the social media and stuff like that. So that way, again, serving his mission, it hurts to stay at home. I mean, I have kids, it hurts to stay at home, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, I want everybody to be able to both like to, to spiritually go with their pastor and to lift their pastor and the pilgrims up in prayer because the devil hates pilgrimage. It's going to change their life for the rest of their life. Um, and anything can go wrong when you're traveling. So it's really important to have that prayer support um, of the pilgrims and they're, they're kind of missionaries in a sense in their parish, you know, so you're at home sending these missionaries forth who are making this pilgrimage, they're carving time out of their schedule, they're taking their money and, you know, like laying it on the line for God to go to these places and be filled more deeply. Um, I mean, you can't ever go to the Holy Land and ever go to Mass the same way again, ever. Um, you know, so that that's kind of our specialty. That's what makes us different. We're small. We work with the pastors and um, it's really important that the rest of the parish is able to go. So that's what I do from home. Um, and I usually don't do it when the kids are around cause I get kind of like, I get anxious, um, you know, like when kids are home and they're irritating me. So I, I get a babysitter a couple days a week and I, um, Maggie's incredibly, oh, we work with the monks of Norcha too. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, um, I'm not. but they, um, they're these monks that are primarily American monks living in Italy and, Maggie's a, an oblate there and I'm discerning becoming an oblate. I'm sure it won't happen for years and years, but um, I'm discerning that right now. Um, and they're just, they're wonderful monks in the birthplace of St. Benedict, kind of reviving his original monastery, which was um, in ruin for, for um, hundreds of years. Um, so they're kind of rebuilding that. And they just had all their work destroyed by an earthquake last year. <laughs> um, but oh, these, no. these men are fantastic. So check out the monks of Norcha too. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so that's what I that's, what I that's awesome. Yeah. I and I my, my desires as a historian. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I had never I don't know if I've ever heard pilgrimage explained that way before with the whole um the whole parish aspect mm -hmm. and like praying praying for the pilgrims that are that are going from your community. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Um 
Yeah. So then my last question for you, I know we kind of got off on a tangent <laughs> yeah. there, but <laughs> do you have any mom hacks to share or something that's maybe making your life a little easier? Um, well, I'm going to go into the ideal first. Every day, <laughs> remind yourself, remind yourself throughout the day who you are and where you're going. I am a daughter of the most high and glorious God, period. That will never change. That will never change. And that can never be taken away from me. I can turn away from it, but that can never be taken away from me. No matter how bad I feel about myself, no matter how you know, rudely I treated my kids, no matter what happened to me today, I still am that, you know? And sometimes when you're having a little mom temper tantrum, um, which maybe take you may may take you six seven years like me to figure out that I'm having a temper tantrum sometimes. Um, <laughs> sometimes you just need to slap yourself in the face with hell, you know. Like I'm not going to go to hell because I yelled at my children, but I will go to hell if I despair and turn inward and say God can't forgive me, you know. And my kids need to see mommy say, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got mad." You know, my kids don't need to see me be prideful and always perfect. And that's another beauty about homeschooling. My kids are not going to grow up with perfection around them. And that was a big part of schooling for me. You know, like I have to be perfect. Everybody else has to be perfect. I, my grades need to be perfect. And if I don't ask perfect, act perfectly, it's shameful. And I should never, ever be like that. And it's not that we don't strive for perfection because God, it's, it's this great mystery of God. God wants us to be perfect and he knows we'll never be that way. But there's a difference between striving for perfection and always being surrounded by perfection, if that makes sense. Yeah, so just remember that your children are going to benefit from your imperfection. They will learn to be more compassionate. They will learn um, to get those silly prideful mantras that always, you know, bug us like mommy's too busy for me. Mommy's too busy for me. No, I'm not too busy for me. Let's talk about what mommy does all day and how we participate in the family. Do you like to eat? I like to eat. Mommy has to cook. You know, like mm -hmm. the kids need to see that that life happens and it's not perfect, but that it's it's just part it's part of their life and hopefully cutting down anxiety. That that wasn't really a mom hack, was it? No, that's great. I love it. Um, <laughs> it's helpful. It's something that's helpful. And so I think that's that's a mom hack. So <laughs> I love it. Oh. oh, goodness. You've been so kind. Oh, think, you've been yeah, so no, great. No Thanks. <laughs> no, thank you so thank you so much, Teresa, for being here. This has been lovely chatting with you. And I've just received so much from this and a lot of I love when I can take practicals away from a conversation and be like, okay, this is what I can do. And um, I feel like I've received a lot of that from you. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Praise so God. thanks for chatting with me. Praise God. <laughs> yeah. Let me go ahead and close this in a prayer. Uh, Lord God, thank you for all the moms listening today. We pray in a special way for mamas who have recently had babies that they can get the support and care that they need postpartum. And we pray, Lord, for those of us seeking community in our neighborhoods and in our churches. God, we pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to 
seek out that community and if it's not available to build that community. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Hi friends, thanks for listening in. I was really encouraged and inspired after this chat with Teresa to start reaching out to some local moms. Is there a mom you can help out this week? Maybe bringing a dinner or hosting a play date? Or maybe you're a mom who could use a little support right now. Know that you are in my prayers. Try checking in with your church this week to see what they might have to offer or reach out to another mama who could offer you a hand. As always, you all are in my prayers. You can send specific prayer intentions my way at diapersanddisciples.com slash contact. God bless.